Jesus. I'm reminded of the Psalm, Psalm 66, that says, Come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth, his praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but God has surely listened, and he has heard my prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. I don't know where you're at on your spiritual journey, but God loves you. We can never hear that enough. And when we come to church, we sing about his goodness and his greatness. And so we're going to be able to do that this morning. But before we do, we just want to say welcome to Watershed. We're so glad to see you this morning. Uh, we're going to stand together. We're going to say hey to the people around us. But I've got a question of the day for us. How many of you are feeling excited that tomorrow is August? Share that with your neighbor. our time of worship. We're going to lift up our praises to Jesus today, the one who, when we lift up praises to and focus our, our eyes and our hearts and our minds on, is the one who comes and is our Lord and our Savior, and he is then with us. Let's lift up our voices today. Let's sing this together.
seated. All kids can come up through third grade for children's worship, so all kids through third grade. Good morning. Are you guys ready to pray? Father God, thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. May uh, what we do today just set our hearts on you today and always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Am I on? Huh? Oh, I'm on. Okay. I'm not used to this mic, so this is a new experience for me. Good morning, Watershed. It's good to be here with you guys this morning. It's nice to see you all. Um, I am going to have a conversation this morning with one of our missionaries. Um, uh, so I'm going to invite Luke Kerrig to come on up this morning. Um, Luke is a supported missionary of Heart of White, um, working in Ireland through Resonate Global. Um, so, also in the house this morning, we do have another supported missionary. In the house. In the house this morning. Two, 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 one, two. <laughs> Jake it's and working. Rachel, Jake and Rachel Campan are here from Honduras, so they've been in the States hanging out with Norlin and Cheryl for a few weeks, so welcome to you guys, too, and if you want to know anything about what they're doing in Honduras, grab them after the service and have a chat with them as well. So, um, so this morning, we're going to talk with Luke. And um, first off, Luke, tell me how, tell us how you're connected with Heart Awake. Thank you, Dee. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> uh, I used to serve as the interim preaching pastor over at the Fusion Community. Boo! Fusion Community. <laughs> uh, I used to serve over there as the, as the preaching pastor, and uh, I did so for one year. And through that year, we discerned with the help of Heart Awake leadership. In fact, Dee took a trip with me to Ireland. And we prayerfully discerned that actually in Ireland is where I was supposed to be. And so it was a, I'm very thankful for the wisdom of Hardwick Church and the willingness <laughs> to release tear, their pastor. It was a tearful moment when, yeah, he, when go, he asked me, like, what did you think? And I right. had to say, like, I think you need to be here yeah. instead of at Hardwick. Right. And so we're, that very, was hard. we're very grateful <laughs> for the partnership that exists between. I, I don't feel detached from Hardwick Church. I feel very much an extension of the ministry of this place happening in Ireland. So, yeah. So, can you tell us what you're doing in Ireland? Nothing extraordinary, <laughs> um, if you're hoping for that. Uh, I, uh, in fact, if this many people showed up to church on Sunday, it would be a revival. Um, <clears throat> So we could pray for that. But, you know, I, so I pastor, uh, you know, most missionaries go to new countries, to new frontiers. I went to my hometown. <laughs> most missionaries go to plant new churches. I went to my home church that has been there for about 40 years uh, because they didn't have a pastor. Uh, and we don't have 100 pastors for every five miles like we do in Holland. Uh, we also don't have big church buildings, uh, so we're low on personnel and resources. And so I said, hey, can I go back to, to Ireland and, and pastor my home church? 
And so I've been pastoring a small community. We've grown to about 60 people. Um, when we started, when I went back to Ireland in 2020, it was still COVID time. And so there was about 12 people meeting on Facebook. <laughs> uh, and, so, and so we've grown a little and we've become a wonderfully diverse community. We have people from India and Denmark and South Africa uh, because Ireland's a bit of a uh, metropolis um, at the minute because it's got a lot of the tech community uh, from Dublin. And so, so we're growing and it's exciting, but we're not doing anything extraordinary. We're praying together. We're worshiping together. We're opening up God's Word together. We're doing fellowship together. We're doing acts of compassion together, just like you all are doing here, uh, but we're doing it in Ireland. And obviously, the context is different, but it's been a really uh, rich, rich two years so far. Awesome. Yeah. So how can we support you going forward in the work that you're doing? Yeah, there's a couple of ways. Um, you know, you can pray for us, as always. You can financially support my family and our, and our ministry. I think there's some things at the back. Um, we have a building development. So our church has grown to 60 people, and we don't have a facility that's fit for purpose. You guys use this hall far better than uh, the one that we have uh, in Ireland. And so we'd like to develop our building. And so if you want to learn a little bit more about that, uh, I have a few of these. I can throw them at the back. Um, but we also have some teams coming. Mm -hmm. So I, I know there's a team coming in October yeah. to Ireland uh, to do a little bit of service learning. Somebody's waving at me at the back. She's going. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and maybe we'll have some more over the years. But come. We want to build this collaborative bridge, not only between uh, my church and Hardwick, but we actually foresee as we create a healthy uh, mother church <laughs> in Ireland as a launching pad for more ministry endeavors throughout the country, perhaps even into, you can get to, to Europe in two hours on a flight. So we foresee uh, this is a real kind of first step in a whole uh, plethora of opportunities for mission in Ireland and into the UK and into Europe. So it's quite exciting if you want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of it. Awesome. I'm coming in October. Awesome. Come. Awesome. <laughs> well, can we pray for you this yes, morning, yes, Luke? Please. Okay. Um, this morning, um, join me while we pray for Luke and we pray for our community, okay? Father God, thank you for this beautiful morning that you've given us today. Thank you that you are a God of compassion, a God of grace, a God of wisdom, and of encouragement. Thank you for this opportunity to share time with Luke this morning to learn about ministry in Ireland. Lord, we ask that you bless Luke and Kelsey and their family in the service that they're doing to the people with the people of Ireland. Lord, make your plan their plan. We pray that their connections and their relationships with those that uh, surround them will grow strong and that your love will be evident through them. And Lord, as they continue to adjust to their new home, may the transition become easier and lighter each day. Lord, we pray for the Church of the Nazarene and Greystones. We pray that each person who enters the doors is encouraged by your kingdom and your kingdom grows through each of them. Lord, bless the plans that Luke and the other leadership have worked so hard on plans to expand ministry and serve the community in a wider capacity and open doors for approvals to happen and processes to be smooth and finances to come. And Father, as Luke and Kelsey prepare to head back to Ireland in just a week or so, please help them to find rest and refreshment in their final days here. Give them days of fun and days of joy 
and days of excitement with their family and friends so that they'll leave with hearts open to serve you in the way that they've been called. And Father, we think about our own community here at Heart of Wyke. There's so many people here who are sick, who are digesting new diagnoses, who are grieving loss, who are trying to figure out how they'll be able to handle the rising cost of living, and others who are navigating troubled relationships, and so much more, Lord, that we're not even aware of. Father, show them your love when they need to be loved. Lift them up and support them when they need to be supported. Comfort them when they need to be comforted. Encourage those who are brokenhearted. And place us in the right place in the right time to be your hands and feet in whatever circumstances we encounter. Father, you created us to be in community together. So as we gather this morning across this campus, some via live stream or recording, prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your word, the message that was laid out specifically for us today. We ask that a special blessing on Corey this morning as he delivers your message. Give him only the words that you want spoken today. We pray all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Thanks, Luke. Appreciate it. It's good to see you. Um, this morning, Pastor Aaron and his family are on a much-needed vacation celebrating Aaron's parents' 50th wedding anniversary. So we get to welcome Corey Plackmar this morning. <laughs> Corey is the executive director of Movement West Michigan in Zealand, and he's been with us a few times before, so let's welcome him this morning. Thanks for being here, Corey. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, do you just want to keep talking? Because I can listen to you for the next 30 minutes, and I'd be okay with that. Well, thank you so much for having me here with you this morning. It is a joy and a delight to be with you this morning. As Dee said, my name is Corey Plockmeyer, and I work with Movement West Michigan, which if you haven't heard of it, that's okay, although I have been here like three times now, so hopefully it'll start to stick. Uh, but we uh, exist to unite Christian leaders to work together uh, for the flourishing of the community. We imagine this community, what would happen if we unite the followers of Jesus to work together to make the name of Jesus known, as Jesus prayed in John 17, and we ask, what happens if we amplify what God is already doing in the community? I like to tell people, it's like I get the 30,000-foot view of what God is doing in the Holland, Zealand area, uh, and sometimes it's like I play Dutch bingo for a living because basically I meet with people and I say, hey, have you talked to this person, you've talked to this person, this person, and this person, because they're all doing the same thing as you, and you should talk to each other. It's really a joy and a delight. But uh, when the first times that I came here, uh, I wasn't yet in that position. The very first time I preached here, I, I joked that I was in transition, and that was true. What I didn't tell you, that that was actually my very first time stepping into a worship service, not just to preach, but even to worship, ever since what had happened in, uh, earlier in the year. Because I'll never forget, in early 2021, when I got a call from the elders of the church where I was serving, they said, Corey, we've arrived at a decision, a change has to be made, and you're that change. My world came out from underneath me. See, as a pastor, my whole identity 
every bit of who I was was wrapped up in serving the church. Not always in unhealthy ways, right? There was a pretty strong sense that I was my own person. But I couldn't imagine who I was not serving a church. And it began this season of asking, where is Christ in the midst of grief and loss and hurt and pain? And who am I before Christ? Not what do I do, which is also an important question, but who am I? The reality is, is that we all know that reality of hurt and pain and grief. Maybe it's that that diagnosis that we weren't hoping for. Or maybe it's walking alongside of an aging parent and the arguments that we get into with our siblings about how best to care for mom and dad as we just can't see eye to eye. And there's hurt and there's pain and there's anger. Or loss of a loved one. Or just the plain reality of an unjust world that is not always the way it's supposed to be. We all know the reality of hurt and pain and brokenness in this world. And the question is, what does wisdom look like when it feels like God is hiding, when it feels like God isn't answering, when it feels like the things that we are going through are things that absolutely should not be happening. What is wisdom when it feels like the pain we are experiencing is at the hands of God's people? What is wisdom when it seems like God is hiding? So we're going to read all of Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 12 a minute, and then we're going to zero in on other parts of the book of Job and other parts of the story. But in Job chapter 1, this is what we read. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? 
There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, there's so, so, so much we could say about even just this passage of Job, let alone to look at it in light of what else we see throughout the book of Job. And this is a huge question. What do we do when it feels like God is hidden? What is wisdom for these times when life doesn't go the way that we need it to? But what we see in this first chapter of Job, this this well-known story of the man who has everything and who loses it all and who responds to that suffering, we start with with Job when he is at his highest. Life is going great for him. He is one of the richest men in all the East. He has flocks and herds and children. Everything is going well for him. But of course, it's not going to stay that way. We may be familiar with the broad outlines of the story. Satan is going to strike down all of Job's children. He is going to lose all of his flocks and his herds. He is going to be struck with boils and painful sores, and his health is going to deteriorate. Basically, everything that could go wrong for Job is going to go wrong over the course of these first chapters of the book of Job. And the question is, how does he respond to the reality of this pain, suffering, and brokenness in his life? And I think what we are going to see this morning is three key ideas for what we do when it feels like God is hidden. The important thing for the first one, the first thing we see is that we need to resist giving easy answers. We need to resist easy answers when it feels like God is hidden. There's a reality of what Job is going through. In Job 1 verses 20 through 21, there is no doubt that Job is hurting and grieving, right? At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. He fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And I think that often we are tempted to focus on the second half of this verse, that when he is suffering, Job seems to to be able almost immediately to turn to praise. But we can't miss the first part of it. He tears his robe, he shaves his head, he enters into the practices of grief and sorrow, and he sits in that grief. He acknowledges the loss. He acknowledges the pain. We see this again in chapter 2, when Job's friends come to see him. 
When they see him from a distance, they could hardly recognize, and they began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads, and they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. In the face of loss and sorrow and hurt and pain, Job reminds us that we have to resist easy answers. We see in Job chapter 1 very, very clearly that God is not the source of evil. Satan comes to God and there is this sense of what we might refer to as the passive will of God. Right? That there are things that God allows, not that God wills actively. Theologians refer to the passive will of God and the active will of God. The active will of God are those things that God actively wills, and the passive will of God are those things that God allows and then continues to work through despite it. Because the reality is that God works despite suffering, not because of it. Yes, there is a reality that God is always working. God is present even in the midst of suffering. And we're going to talk about that more in just a little bit. But we need to resist easy answers that seem to just lay out and explain why things happened. I remember when we had a, uh, we had a puppy that was hit by a car. And one of the first things that a beloved family member said to me was, well, clearly God doesn't want you to have another dog. Because it was the easy answer. Situation, reason, therefore, in this person's mind. Right? Origin of the problem, therefore, this is the reason. We don't get to say that. Reality is is that we are tempted as followers, even as followers of Jesus Christ. It is so tempting to explain suffering. To look at somebody's situation and say, well, they're, they're suffering because they made some really poor life choices. Well, maybe, or maybe they've been undergoing generations of poverty and have never seen another model for how to live. We need to resist easy answers. Yes, God works despite suffering, but not because of it. I remember a a couple that I walked beside. They were in the mid-60s. They had been waiting so eager for retirement. He was 63. They had all sorts of plans. After retirement, they were going to go hiking, they were going to go traveling, they were going to do life together, all these things they had been waiting to do. And then she got diagnosis of a rare form of of intestinal cancer. It was stage four. 
And it was so many tiny tumors that were growing faster than any chemotherapy could treat. And it was slowly tearing apart her insides. And within six months, she was gone. And then he looked at me. He said, I don't need to hear Romans 8, 28 right now. He believed, he knew that God loved him. He said, I don't need that easy answer right now. He said, I don't believe that cancer was God's will for my wife. Because cancer is a part of the broken, fallen world in which we live. And I think when we face situations where it seems like God is hidden, it is important for us to check ourselves and our heart and our impulses and ask ourselves if we are trying to give an easy answer to a complicated, broken reality. Because the reality is that I think there are two impulses that are really natural for us to go towards. In his comments on the book of Job, Tim Keller suggests that the two directions that we are easily drawn to when we're trying to respond to cynicism are moralism and cynicism. Moralism and cynicism are both easy, are both easy responses, and they both give easy answers that seem to explain the reality of the world, and neither are satisfying. And both of them, by the way, are tempting for us inside the church. Although I think moralism is probably the more tempting of the two for us. Moralism says, you did X, and therefore Y is now happening. You made this choice, and because of that choice, now you are suffering. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a reality in which God sometimes allows us to experience the consequences of our actions. If you have too much to drink, get in the car and then get pulled over and go to jail for drunk driving. Well, that's not, it's not moralism to say that that's a consequence of your actions, right? And this is where sometimes it's tough and hard when we're facing the reality of suffering and brokenness, because sometimes it is simply consequences. But moralism doesn't just sort of look at individual situations. Moralism draws it out as in a systematic and systemic way of trying to explain what's wrong in the world. And here's when we can see moralism at work, is when we are existing with this attitude of, of sort of, is God keeping track? Does God have a checklist or a ledger? Now, I grew up in a Christian Reformed church on the south side of Holland. I grew up with wonderful Sunday school teachers. I grew up with wonderful people who loved me and cared for me and wanted me to know the reality of the Christian story. And yet I know that I caught, it wasn't so much taught, but what I caught somehow over the course of years and years and years of going to church, what I caught, the message that I understood was that God was waiting to punish me. And I found myself living my life with this attitude of expecting the other shoe to fall. 
that God was just waiting for an excuse to make my life miserable. Maybe that was just me, but, but I don't think it was. Because I know how easy it is to be a part of the, the body of Christ and yet never somehow fully embrace the reality of the grace of God. Never fully embrace the reality that God loves me exactly as I am more than anybody or anything has ever loved me. Somehow it's easy to spend our whole life, we can, we can be going to church for years and years and years and years and never really understand the gospel, the good news that there is absolutely nothing that you can do to make God love you more and nothing you can do to make God love you less. God is not waiting to punish you. God does not take delight in your suffering. Moralism is an easy answer that is, it, it seems satisfying because, well, it, it makes sense of the world. Why are all these bad things happening? Because we did bad things. Resist easy answers. Moralism is, is an easy answer. But on the flip side, so is cynicism. Cynicism just says, well, we can't do anything. The world is messed up, so let's just throw our hands up and do the best that we can. It's also an easy answer. Right? It also makes sense of the world, right? There's a hopelessness in the face of brokenness and suffering sometimes. And cynicism says, I'm just going to not even try. Now, I think often cynicism, if, if we as the church are not prepared to respond well to suffering, in my experience, cynicism is where we go, right? If the church doesn't respond, if the church does not give space for a full-fledged wrestling with the brokenness of the world, then when moralism is unsatisfying, people go to cynicism. I think of my friend Pete. I worshipped, well, my wife worshipped on the worship team with Pete. I worked with Pete's wife. We were good friends. Until Pete was told that, well, God couldn't possibly have worked through evolution. That's a whole other conversation. He was a professor at Michigan State. And it began this spiritual journey, these spiritual questions. And so one day I, 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 I go and I have lunch with Pete, and I'm like, Pete, so I, I hear you've been asking questions. I was, I was more diplomatic, right? But we eventually get to the reality of where they are on their spiritual journey. And ultimately, the straw that had broken the camel's back was this question, what do we do with brokenness? He looked, in the eye, he looked me in the eye, he said, Corey, my colleague just lost his eight-year-old child to cancer. Cancer. And he had a few more, you know, 
explicit words that I won't repeat here in church. But somehow they seemed very fitting when talking about a child dying of cancer. And he hadn't found the church making space for that hard conversation. And without space to wrestle and to give space to that grief and that brokenness, he threw up his hands and went full on into cynicism and said, basically, the best thing I can do is just try to live the best life that I can and serve my community well. And and the reality is, is that he continues to be somebody who loves his community deeply. He continues to show Christ-like love in ways that many in the church don't show Christ-like love. And yet he refuses to acknowledge it as rooted in Christ because there was no space for the hard reality of a broken, fallen world. Moralism and cynicism are both easy answers. Both of them give easy answers. Both of them seem like they're satisfying, but neither are. In Job chapter 1, we see this so, so deeply because it'd be natural. The impulse is to say, well, see, we have this explanation. We can make sense of it all. But clearly, there's this this cosmic interplay that goes so far beyond what we can wrap our heads around. And I think that that's the point. I don't think that Job chapter 1 is meant for us to go and have a, a... a systematic theology of how the angels report to God. I think that's asking the wrong questions about Job chapter 1. I don't think that Job chapter 1 is meant to be a systematic theology of how God and Satan interact with one another and conversate with one another. I think that's asking the wrong question of the book of Job. I think that the book of Job is asking us hard questions about what do we do in the face of suffering and brokenness. And the broad theme that we see here is, A, God is not the one doing it. And we need to resist those easy answers. And then, and then we can see the bigger plan as appropriate. Job's friends do their best work when they keep their mouth shut. What's the first thing they do? They show up and they just sit with him. And they grieve with him for seven days. Seven days, they just sit there in silence. Anybody uncomfortable yet? You ever sat with somebody in grief? Have you been in that grief? Tears will come and then they'll stop. And then they'll come again. 
and then you'll tell a story and you'll start laughing and then, you, and then suddenly before you know it, those, that laughter will turn to tears. Because that's grief. That's the reality of loss. And things hit us in ways that we never expect and never imagine, but that's what happens when we walk that journey with grief and loss. And Job's friends sit there for seven days. Yes, there is a bigger plan. Yes, we can acknowledge that God is working that bigger plan and we can see that as appropriate. Yes, absolutely, I affirm that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Yes, I affirm that there is peace like a river, that, that, that it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. But yet, one of the questions I have asked every single family when I do their funeral for their loved one is, are there songs you don't want to sing? And the number one song people don't want to sing is, when peace like a river, it is well with my soul, because I go, I'm not ready to sing that song. And that's okay. The reality is, is that the journey of grief and loss and living with the brokenness of the world and responding to the brokenness of the world, it's okay to not be okay and to allow that to be a journey. I have a friend who lost her spouse very unexpectedly. In the span of six weeks, they went from he was perfectly healthy to he was gone. And recently I was having a conversation with her and somebody asked her, what did that do to your faith journey? And point blank, she's without even dropping a beat, she said, I didn't talk to God for two years. Now, this is somebody who I respect deeply, who has been a really important, significant person in my own faith journey. And without missing a beat, she goes, I didn't talk to God for two years. I always knew God was there. I never doubted God's love for me, but I just wasn't at a place to be able to talk to him. And that's okay. The best advice when I was walking my own journey with my grief and my loss and asking where is Christ in the midst of this grief, I sat down with the pastor for coffee and that pastor looked at me. He said, don't go to church then. If you're not at a place to go to church, don't go. If it's going to be too hard and too painful, don't go. Now, don't get me wrong, there is room and space to walk sometimes, to take hard, do hard things and, and step out in faith. But, but friends, I need you to hear me say, it's okay to not be okay. And I believe that God's love for you is big enough and enduring enough and never-ending, never-giving-up, always-and-forever enough to still be there with you and for you, no matter what that journey of grief and loss and brokenness feels like. What do we do? What does wisdom look like in the face of a God who feels hidden? We resist easy answers. We avoid moralism and cynicism. And we see the bigger plan as appropriate. But ultimately, friends, I want to invite us to a vision of, a, of the body of believers that gives space for the wisdom of suffering. 
Because often the reality is is that the reason that we break silence when we're sitting with those who are grieving is not because they need us to talk, but because we need to talk. Often we say those dumb things, we be like Job's friends and open our mouths because we're the ones who are uncomfortable. Often we're the ones who are afraid. Because we're afraid when that friend says, I'm not ready to talk to God yet. We go, what if they never talk to God again? And so I'm going to try to force you to think about and answer all your questions and respond to all your friends. It's an emotional gut thing. And it's far more likely that we're going to do more harm than good. What does it look like to be a community that gives space for grief and loss? What does it look like to be a community, to be a body of Christ that allows for brokenness and hurt and pain? What does it look like to be a space that resists easy answers but says, friends, wherever you are on your journey, it's okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to come to worship and completely lose it because the song that we just sang reminded you of your mom. It's okay to come to worship and completely lose it because that was the song that you sang the last Sunday at the church that you were at before you lost your job. It's okay. Right? What does it look like to have a community that says it's okay to not be okay? But ultimately, friends, the ultimate wisdom of suffering, the ultimate wisdom for when it seems like God is hidden is to see Jesus. Because our faith is not rooted just in the big picture of God, but our faith is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ who suffered, who was betrayed by his friend. Our faith is in Jesus whose closest friends couldn't even stay awake on his hardest night of his life. Our faith is in Jesus who was mocked and beaten and brutally killed. Our faith is in Jesus who suffered and who sees us in our hurt and in our brokenness and in our pain and is right there with us. So friends, I know we are at lots of different places on our spiritual journeys. I know that we are at lots of different places in our journeys with grief and brokenness and hurt and pain. Look to Jesus. When we're walking with others who are hurting, give them space to hurt and to be with them and resist easy answers. But ultimately, ultimately, fix our eyes on Jesus, who has been through it and who loves us no matter what we're going through, even if we're not okay. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, Some of us aren't okay, and that's okay.
whatever hurt, whatever pain we're carrying. Help us to see it in light of you. God, help us resist easy answers that try to make sense of things that we just plain and simple can't make sense of. And as we resist those easy answers, God, help us just to be in relationship well with those who are hurting. But in all things, help us to know that you are with us, no matter the hurt, no matter the pain, and that you love us always and forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We invite you to stand with us as we sing this song of response. It's an opportunity for us to to fix our eyes on Jesus and to hold on to him, to focus our minds and hearts on him. I love this line where it says, we trust you, we trust you. Your ways are higher than our own. And sometimes that's challenging to sing and, and truly believe, but the more we can sing it, the more we can internalize it, and that can help us in those times when it feels like, where are you, God? So let's seek him today.
Friends, as we go forth, go forth with God's blessing. May God go before you to guide you. May God go beside you to befriend you, beneath you to support you, and behind you to protect you. Do not fear. Even when it's hard, even when it's challenging to see where God is, God is with you. Do not be afraid. Amen.